Dr. Gabor Mate, it's uh, it's really nice to see you. It's been a long time since we've uh, since we've spoken. We've been discussing getting a, a conversation going for quite some time. Um, and you know what? I actually feel like this is the actually perfect time to head this conversation um, because of the intersection of several several things going on around the world and with your personal story, your personal life experience, your personal qualifications. Um, so you really do need uh, no introduction. You are a, a globally respected, world-renowned uh, physician, speaker, intellectual, author, uh, documentary producer, public figurehead. You've been on... Well, actually, top- I'm, not, I'm not a documentary producer. I, 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 you have to take away some of my credentials here. Okay, but, so participant. But, but, uh, <laughs> participant, yes. Victim. But, but, but on the other hand, on the other hand, I did just finish my next book two days ago after ten years of work. So that's are you allowed to? Are you allowed to talk about your new book yet? I can talk about a little bit. It'll be published in September, so I don't want to go too much in detail. But it's entitled "The Myth of Normal Trauma, Illness, and Healing in a Toxic Culture," and uh, it really is a summation of everything I've learned and um, and experienced. So that's coming out September 2022. Yeah. Um, well, well. Speaking of of all that, um, I mean, you really nailed the nailed the nail on the head uh, with uh, with that title because I think you know what we're looking at right now is is a real inflection point in the culture. There's a lot of intersecting forces that are kind of having this tug of war and um it seems to be creating a lot of anxiety and and unease in general in society and some might even say trauma um and of course in the past the past couple of years we've really seen a lot of that manifest in in different ways in different places between um, between different in groups. So maybe I'll just ask you off the top kind of what your general, what your general take is on, on the situation. Uh, where are we now? What's good and what's bad about, uh, about, uh, where we're at as a culture society. Well, what, I'm, what I'm seeing is a culture in crisis, um, a culture whose fundamental assumptions no longer hold, who more and more people are distrustful of and alienated from uh, the usual ways of being. Uh, the old explanations no longer explain anything. Um, authorities have lost their credibility to, to a lot of people. People are afraid, they're anxious. Uh, emotions are heightened. Um, Social contradictions are sharpened. Suspicions between groups are um, exacerbated. Um, more and more people are looking for answers. And it says usually in a culture in crisis, and you know we've seen this in history. And I'm just reading a, another biography of Adolf Hitler, and it's um, not that I want to make comparisons directly, but that's that was a culture in crisis, and it, it was a culture in crisis that threw up this 
figure to be its head. Um, people hoping for some kind of an enforced solution to the fragmentation and the uncertainties. Now, I'm not saying it's the same situation, but, but, but I'm seeing similarities in the uncertainties and the in the fears that people are having and the uh, loss of faith in the um, traditional explanations. Um, so that that's always a situation fraught with danger. But at the same time, more and more people are questioning themselves, questioning the old verities, looking for answers. That means there's a possibility for new learning and, and for new departures. So I'm seeing both the dangers and the possibilities. I I I, I agree um, 100%. And actually, that was that was a, a question that I that I wanted to ask you about because part of what makes your life experience so interesting for this particular time is is not only all of your your vast qualifications and and real world experience as an adult and as a professional um with with so many different people that you've worked with but also that you're actual you're actually a, a child of of the second world war right you were born in in uh budapest when you were um when your family was under the thumb of of Nazi rule, yeah. Um, so, like, what kind of what kind of perspective does that give you in this day and age when we're experiencing these these tensions in society? Well, in the first place. When people say that things are getting worse, uh, this is unprecedented. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. When I was a, a month old baby, somebody wanted to throw me into an oven. I mean, how much worse than that can it get? You know, in other words, I have a bit of a perspective that these crises are cyclical and the human beings are quite capable of horrendous behavior. Um, this is not the first time in history. Uh, no, it's true that the crisis we're facing with climate change is unprecedented. I mean, human species has not faced such a possibly game-ending crisis uh, before. But, but in general, I do have a sense that history moves in cycles and that I don't buy into the doomsday scenario. Uh, that things are so much worse now. I mean, what's really happening is that we're having one of these cyclical crises that humanity goes through, and specifically that the capitalist system goes through. You know, the the generation now was born after the Second World War. You know, just generation like a couple of years younger than I am, the so-called boomer generation. They were a pretty uh, um, privileged group. In, in 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 the history of capitalism, they they were the group that could look forward to making a better living than their parents did, uh, accumulating wealth, feeling of being relatively secure. But that was a fairly short period, you know, mm -hmm. at a time when there was relative social peace, when unions were stronger, there were social programs, um, when there was this general idea of progress. Um, even that covered up a lot of injustices, a lot of contradictions, a lot of um, suffering. 
but there was a general sense that things are okay and getting better. Well, that's long gone. But that was only a short period. So looking at historically, again, I'm seeing a fairly cyclical recurrence of crisis and, and, and insecurity uh, with the added um, significant threat of climate catastrophe. Yes. Um, I, uh, I've recently begun to share that, that viewpoint. Uh, I think I was probably a little bit more nervous maybe six months ago but I, I've become a little more optimistic just thinking about this type of cyclical, cyclical reality of society. Yes, climate change is unprecedented and it needs to be addressed and solved. And uh, of course, right now as we speak, there was a, a conference going on in, in Scotland. What does concern me is how we go about addressing that. And does it become an excuse for further authoritarian measures when, um, when what's, what's actually happening is the technology sector is, is developing things pretty much as fast as they can anyways. And I wonder what is going to, um, what is going to result from these talks and, and, uh, moving toward more of a, I guess, invasive approach from government, which we've also seen from vaccine mandates, which also have just come out this week in Costa Rica and in USA and also in Canada, um, not being able to, to fly. So I'm curious if, if you have uh, any perspective on how far this goes before it kicks over into um, into the upward trend of that cycle, or uh, if you if you don't have a perspective on that, well, look. First, first of all, you and I don't see things eye to eye. When you talk about vaccine mandate and this is government intruding, look, I'm just a suspicious. I'm I'm no authoritarian, and uh, I have absolutely no faith in governments uh, or big pharma or you know in, in general, you know. Uh, governments, if you talk about the American government, it murders people internationally regularly, 3 million in Vietnam, half a million in Iraq, 100,000 in Guatemala, I could go on. You know, um, Big Pharma is quite ready to have a lot of people die because of overdoses in order to make a profit. We know that. Mm. And on the other hand, there's a genuine epidemic that has killed 4 million people internationally. And more people are dying all the time. And uh, here in Canada, the statistics are really clear. Either I believe them or I don't. And I have no reason not to. The vast majority of people being hospitalized in intensive care units and dying of, of, of the COVID uh, virus are people who are not vaccinated. That's just how it is. And uh, I have no reason to believe, not to believe my fellow public health, my, my public health colleagues were telling me these figures. So what you call talk about what you seem to see dictatorial vaccine mandates, I see them as necessary public health measures. 
you know. Okay, that's actually one question I was you going know, to. Should a nurse who is not vaccinated and therefore carries the risk of catching a virus, should be they allowed to work near vulnerable old people with reduced immunity? I mean, to me, it's just a scientific question. So on the one hand, we need to be skeptical and vigilant when it comes to what big business is telling us and what governments are, are, are trying to pull off. When at the same time, I just see this as a scientific question. And I don't, you know, uh, now you, I know it's hard on people. People have the right not to get vaccinated. I'm not saying people should be forced to get vaccinated. But on the other hand, uh, people are not, you know, nobody's got the right or the right to drive down the wrong side of the road, do they? I mean, nobody says that it's a denial of civil liberties not to be able to drive on the wrong side of the highway. It's just to protect the public. Sure. And so, is I, this. so so is this. And then when it comes to traveling, you're enclosed in a small airspace, are you not? Breathing the same recycled air. So if you're carrying a COVID virus or if you're at risk for it, should you be allowed to travel? For me, that's not a question of civil liberties. It's a question of public health measures. And, and public health measures are not ever based on certainties. So when you say to me, you might say to me, well, how do you know that this vaccine is safe in the long term? I don't have a clue. I can't prove it to you, except I don't see any disasters ever having risen from any vaccine in the past. What I do know is right now people are dying. So what are we going to go with? The knowledge that right now people are dying of the vac- uh, of the COVID virus and that people who are vaccinated have demonstrably better protection? Or do we go with the vague possibility that in the long term, maybe the vaccine will do some harm? I mean, what do you want to go with? You know, and, and public health is not about prob- possibility uh, or certainties. It's about probabilities. And I'm saying right now, the public health measures being taken are on the side of probability. Will they turn to be right in the end? I have no idea. But what should we do right now? That's the question. And so I don't see this issue of vaccine mandates in in the way you seem to, uh, Daniel. I don't see it as a civil rights issue or human rights issue. I see it as a public health issue. And uh, as a physician um, who's very skeptical of the medical system and, and, and who's all my writings, I've just written a new book, about how blind and how um, narrow-minded um, the medical ideology is. I'm not somebody who buys into it. But at the same time, I like to look at science. And from my perspective, it's pretty straightforward. And I know it's not without controversy. So that's where I stand with it. So for me, I'm glad I got the vaccines and I'm going to get a booster. Um, because at my age, apparently... That provides some extra protection. I got no concerns about it personally. That's I, I actually agree with you. Um, I I did get vaccinated. Um, several of my 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 staff has been vaccinated. Got nothing against vaccinations. I think many people don't actually have anything against vaccinations and and support the science. Um, I think so the are, so. What are you questioning? The, 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 the tactic. Um, so which tactic, sorry, of, of enforcing it, for example, um, well, actually, no, nobody's forced to get a vaccine. It's just that people can't travel in small airspaces or they can't go to work in hospitals. I mean, what is being, what is being enforced here? 
Well, for example, uh, just a week or two ago, um, uh, the son of a couple of our healers who work at Soltara actually wanted to go to university. He was forced to take a vaccine. He had health problems and he died three days later. So they lost their 20-year-old son because he was forced to take a vaccine. Um, I know these... What do you mean he was forced? The people, the police. Well, he, he, he was not allowed to go to university without getting a vaccine. That's not being forced. He doesn't have to go to university. He can choose not to. I mean, he's not being forced oh. to take the vaccine. All, 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 that's, all that's happening is if you want to come to the space with a lot of people, we need to protect everybody. So therefore, okay. you can't come here unless you're like, no. He said, you said he had health issues. I'd have to know more about it. And it, but let me take your word for it. You seem to imply, and maybe it's totally accurate, that this unfortunate young man tragically died because of the vaccine. It's possible. It happens. What are the statistical odds, though? Lower. Absolutely much, much, much lower. I think. And, and, and what is more likely, that people will die of vaccine or lack of vaccine? Absolutely. 100% correct. I'm not, I'm not implying that the statistics are out of favor and i'm i'm not actually dictating my own stance i'm i'm thinking more about what the percentage of the population who is strong there is a percentage of the population who's strongly against vaccine mandates and yeah. not even vaccines right like the the new york fire department who's on protest right now a lot of them most of them are vaccinated they just don't want to be uh um mandated you know so i guess what i'm saying is there's really um, maybe two two kinds of of philosophies or or beliefs that that go into it. So there's a disease that's circulating, right? And there's a, a high percentage of survival rate for most people um, that are not in, in at risk categories. Yeah. Um, and then there's a vaccine which also has a certain risk profile, which is maybe a little bit unknown. Both There's a lot of unknowns in both, in both scenarios. Um, one is random, and the other one is, is uh, making a decision to take some... One is like, okay, if I get the virus, then I'm taking my chances. The virus is kind of, well, maybe not naturally originated, but, but it's naturally circulating. And then the other one is, um, yeah, but look, Daniel, firefighters deal with vulnerable, unhealthy people all the time. They go to, uh, those are the people that first responders are very often asked to come to the aid of, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, maybe a so little more risk tolerance. The question is not that of that firefighter. If he wants to take the risk of, 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 of getting the virus and doing okay with it, statistically, he's probably going to be okay if he's a healthy young guy. Probably, you know. Having said that, it's not about him. It's about the people he's going to be coming into contact with and potentially spreading the virus to. That's what we're talking about. So he, he certainly has the right not to get vaccinated, but does he have the right to work on a job where he's exposed to uh, vulnerable people all the time? That's a totally different question. So as a public health, as a public health uh, professional for, for the bulk of your life, um, would you do anything? Well, 
would you do anything differently or would you do a, implement a similar kind of strategy for, for mitigating, uh, for mitigating the, the pandemic response? You know, I don't know what I would do. Uh, I'm not a public health physician. Um, what I do know is that the public health physicians that I listen to, I trust them. That's what I can tell you. Uh, I listen to them. I weigh their words. I weigh the words of the people that argue with them. And on the whole, on the gut level, these are the people that I trust. Not because I trust governments, not because I trust big pharma, simply because on the gut level, that's where my trust goes. That's what I can tell you. Now, it's complex. I'm much more interested actually in the venom and rage and suspicion and sometimes paranoia on this issue than I am in the actual content. Somebody doesn't get vaccinated, nobody should force them to get vaccinated. Should they be allowed to go other people though? who they can infect, that's a different question. Okay. But, but but it's the rage on both sides that to me speaks to a, a social crisis. Not just the decision that people make, but to the emotions that are generated around it. You know, and uh, that to me is a trauma response. I think whenever you get such venom on either side, um, in a particular question, we're talking about trauma on a massive basis, on a massive social scale. So let's dive into that. Um, why, do you think, why do you think that's taking place? I think because there's a lot of traumatized people in this, in this society. And uh, when something like this happens, it, it triggers their trauma responses. I mean, when I look at people like, like the, the, the viral videos of somebody going into a store and the security guard says you have to wear a mask here and somebody gets really upset and outraged. Oh, what? You know, what are they outraged about? All they're being told is if you want to be in this particular venue, you have to wear a mask because we want you to protect yourself and, and certainly others. And people go into a rage. Well, that's not about rationality. It's not about civil rights. It's about you won't control me. Well, what's that about? It's about at some time in your life, you were controlled and you suffered because of it. Now you bring that energy into the space, that rage and that resistance and that, and, and, and that suspicion, you're projecting it into this space and that's what you bring into it. So what I'm seeing is a lot of traumatized people are reacting in certain ways. What do you think is the relationship between... And by the, way, by the way, I'm sorry. To go back to your original question about climate change and governments, look, uh, Naomi Klein has made the point, you know, talk about disaster capitalism, where, where there's a disaster. Um, it's a question of who is going to be responding to it. So... COVID has made a lot of people rich. The, the billionaires in the world have become much richer. Bezos and people like him, their billions have increased exponentially, while others have been totally ruined. So in any crisis, the people that get to 
manipulate the levers of power, they're going to benefit. It's the same with climate change. Now, I don't trust this conference. Why don't I trust it? Because these same governments that are meeting now in Glasgow have been denying and delaying action on climate change for decades. Why? Because they're in the hands of the corporations. And the corporations would rather have millions of people die than lose a penny of profit. We know that. You know, we see that in the pharmaceutical industry. We see it in the tobacco industry. We see it uh, in the food industry. These are the people in charge. I don't trust them to do the right thing. So uh, it's the same when you raise the issue of technology. Technology in itself is neutral. Technology can be used beautifully for communication and contact and community, for intelligence, or can be used to make people addicted as it is being used largely. It can be used to spread wrong information. It can be used to control people. So it's a question of who is the one that gets to make the decisions. And in a system run by an elite whose interest is profit and power, I don't trust the decisions that are going to be made. So does that, so do you understand why there's, let's say, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the population who also does not and then fears that that any kind of mandates whatsoever any kind of control is a precedent and like the slippery slope of course argument. I, of course they understand it and you know i when it comes to the skepticism and suspicion of authorities i share it i just don't happen to extend it to this particular issue because i'm not listening to i'm not listening to governments i'm not listening to pharma i'm listening to my colleagues in medicine who I don't think are all propagandized and tools of the establishment. I think they're just physicians trying to do the best job they can under very difficult circumstances. So, but I, do I understand why people are suspicious? Of course I understand why people are suspicious. I mean, I wish people were more suspicious. I, people, I wish people were more skeptical. But skepticism is not the same as paranoia. Why do you think that that is? Why do you think so many people are skeptical and distrustful and and well, for one thing, because the skepticism is well deserved, as you and I have just been agreeing. But I think that beyond skepticism, there's a lot of paranoia. When somebody says that the COVID vaccine is is an attempt on the part of Bill Gates and the communist U.S. government to to introduce a microchip into the circulation to control your mind, that's not skepticism. That's paranoia, and paranoia comes from trauma. Okay. So, so to address, address trauma, where do you see, um, the, the highest leverage, let's say 80, 20 rule, um, moves that, that could, should, or would be taken to address the, the prevalent, uh, trauma that is, is causing these kind of tensions and, and rifts in, in society? Well, the problem is that we live in a society that almost by its very nature traumatizes people. Uh, trauma is simply a word for wounding. The, the Greek origin for the word trauma is wound. And this society wounds people because its values are not human values. 
human values call for empathy, compassion, connection, community. This society calls for aggression, individualism, exploitation, um, using other people for your own benefit, and so on. So this society does not support healthy child raising. It does not support healthy conditions for child development. It, um, it doesn't understand what human needs are. And therefore, a lot of people are traumatized. That's the nature of the system. And especially now, you know, the trauma moves across all strata of society, but especially if you're indigenous and you know this, Daniel, because you work with indigenous people, um, if you're a person of color, if you're female, um, all these increase the chance of you being traumatized. So how how do we process all this Trump this trauma as a society? How do we move through it? How do we heal? Well, the first thing is do we have to, we have to recognize the nature of trauma and see its manifestations and ramifications through um, education, through medicine, through politics, everywhere. So the first step is just trauma awareness, I would say which is sorely lacking right now. The average physician has got no idea about trauma and how to recognize it, even though they're dealing with its manifestations when it comes to mental health issues. I mean, look, I mean, people come to Soltara and they have their experiences with, with, with the madre, with the plant. How often have you seen some deeply traumatic imprint arise that has never been tackled, that has never been understood before in that person's life. Almost every time. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. So we live in a trauma-unconscious society. Why do people have to travel? Not that they shouldn't. And I'm really glad your facility exists, and I'm glad to be associated with it. But why should people have to travel to Costa Rica to find out how traumatized they are? It's because the society is unconscious. Well, fortunately, that seems to be changing a little, uh, bit by bit. You're also associated with um, uh, with uh, Numinous, as I as I recall. Yeah. So, yeah. companies like Numinous are making great strides to to bringing medicines through the legal system. Yeah, it's changing, uh, as you say, and and but that, that goes back to what I was alluding to before: is that when there's a crisis, people are start looking for solutions. So things are opening up that way. That's why when I said there was an opportunity here, that's part of what I was, not just psychedelics specifically, but, but including psychedelics, that people are looking for new solutions because the old ways are just exhausting themselves. Mm. So yes, there's a company called Numinous that I'm associated with. I'm on the advisory board. And uh, it's trying to bring psychedelic and foreign consciousness to the treatment of mental health issues a really good step forward but it's just a tiny little trickle and when I mean, you look at the overall avalanche of the system you know mm-hmm. it's a good beginning and 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 solter is not you know solter is not the only such facility uh, numinous is not the only such organization it's happening on a broader scale i'm glad to see it um but it's early beginnings isn't it yeah and so it's still, almost there's still a lot of resistance 
Yes, for sure. I, I, I do actually feel optimistic about, mm-hmm. about the world right now. You know, that there, 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 there does seem to have been like this kind of culmination of, of so many things that have just, it's almost like a, a, a reveal, a big reveal mm-hmm. of, of the mechanics of, of how things are, 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 are being run and, and, and taking place. And I, I honestly, I don't think that modern day humans have such an appetite for hatred over the long term. I think it is getting exhausting. I think there's a yearning for most people to like, okay, enough is enough. Like, let's kind of come together and let's figure out how to do this. And I think we kind of bring the extremes a little bit more closer to, to each other in the center. Um, and we start looking at pragmatic uh, solutions to, to really get the maximum benefit from our decisions and from our actions rather than, you know, trying to um, appease one side or the other. We're going to actually, we're going to actually come out of this better. And I, and I think that we will actually, mm. we will actually tackle climate change. I think we will actually, um, you know, start regenerating nature and, and, uh, and there's certainly some technological advances that are, that are offering hope. So that could be, uh, an important element, uh, as well. Well, you know, um, I agree with you in general. I, I'm not a pessimist, actually. Um, I do think humanity has the capacity to solve the problems that it has generated. Um, look, I, uh, Noam Chomsky once said, he was asked if he was a pessimist or an optimist, and he said, well, strategically I'm an optimist and tactically I'm a pessimist. Uh, meaning that, um, and I talked to him and he said, look, he says there's optimism. He talked about a statement by the Italian political activist, anti-fascist Antonio Gramsci, and Gramsci was jailed by Mussolini. Um, he said he talked about pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. In other words, um, being realistic, recognizing what's going on, but at the same time just carrying on and and, 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 and and the faith that there's something in us that allows us to get past it. So I agree with you. In the long term, mm-hmm. in the short term, I think we're going to see a lot more misery. Of what type? Economic, uh, psychological, um, social, Conflict? Yeah, I think there's going to be... Look, I mean, that's what we're seeing now, isn't it? Look look at the nature of conversations, how envenomed they have become over the last 10 years, last 10, 15 years. Now, there's also a reaction to that. There's also that impulse that you talk about. So it's like when contradictions happen, when they sharpen, then there's new possibilities. So 
I am optimistic in the long term. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't be doing anything, would I? You know? So why do we keep doing this? Because we think there's a possibility of something positive emerging from whatever chaos that we're experiencing. Um, so again, I agree with you on that, but I don't, not in the short term. Do you think there'll ever be a third world war? I have no idea. I'm not a prophet or I can't see the future. Uh, what I do see is that the, the, as soon as one enemy is finished, this society generates another one. So we go from the communist threat uh, to the, 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 war, uh, the war on drugs. Then we go to the war on terror. Then there's Iraq and Afghanistan, these horrendous wars that serve no good purpose whatsoever, just killed a lot of people, created a lot of misery. And as soon as that's over, now we're talking about war with China. It's like, like that. So yes. this society always has to, have a, has to have an enemy to justify the military-industrial complex. And so every day now, there's new articles about the possibility of war with China. Mm-hmm. And it was totally predictable. Because there always has to be an enemy. And they're always going to find one. Number one. Number two... As the the West, which has colonized the whole Earth now for hundreds of years, lo- is, begins to lose its grip. I mean, it can't even control a small country like Afghanistan or Iraq, despite murdering hundreds of thousands of people. Um, other countries that previously were colonized and kept down like China, will arise and assert their own claims to their own sphere in the world. And that can't be tolerated. So now we have a new enemy. And believe me, you're going to see more and more stuff about the Chinese enemy mm-hmm. um, in the next few years. It's, 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 I mean, it was predictable. I knew it was coming. And of course it happened right on cue. As soon as the Afghan war is over, now you're inundated. If you look at the American press, it's full of articles about the Chinese threat. And, you know, then they talk about the Chinese civil rights uh, violations. Yeah, China is a dictatorial um, government that, that has very little concept of, 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 of political and civil rights. But that doesn't bother us when it comes to Saudi Arabia, which beheads people and if you're a dissident they'll cut your body into pieces and ship you home in a trunk as we know has happened to this man Khashoggi but we sell them arms and they're our allies so you know this is hypocrisy you know Um, or um, we talk about uh, you know how many people died in Mexico last year because of the drug war a lot. I was actually just reading that. We're going on tour in Mexico 100, 100, in December. 100,000. 100,000. Do we concern ourselves with it? No. It's a, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. are part of the North American Free Trade Agreement. We're happy partners. You know, so there's so much hypocrisy. There's so much ignorance. Um, 
So yeah, uh, if you ask me, is the third world war possible? Well, I don't know. But what I do know is that the military, uh, uh, the militaristic mindset is still very dominant. They want it almost. They want they want a, a non catastrophic war. Yeah. They just like the ongoing conflicts. So the ongoing contracts to to build new stuff, new technology, yeah. and oh yeah, you know, it around you know the, the world. You know, they spent two point one million trillion, two point one trillion dollars on the Afghan war. You know where one point nine trillion of that went to to Virginia. Where a lot of the arms arms contractors live, they they're the ones who got that money, not wow. the Afghani not the Afghani people. You know. So um, these are the people in charge. Mm-hmm. So what do I expect from them? More of the same. So now, on an individual level, for 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 people that have to make sense of the world and live and, and operate and try to maintain a sense of balance, a sense of well-being and peace um, in these somewhat challenging times. Do you have any advice for, for, for maintaining that equilibrium, that, that, that mental health, that balance for healing, for just in general... Yeah, mitigating the anxiety of modern day life. Yeah, well, this has always been a challenge for people, you know, ever since civilization came on. Um, and so you have these great spiritual teachers, all of whom have their own paths and their own visions, and they're always worth following because they were trying to speak to our deeper humanity. In fact, our our divinity, if you like, and so. I think spiritual work is important for people. Um, spiritual whatever, work. Whatever that means for an individual, I can't prescribe it. What that should like for you, nor can you, nor can you prescribe it for me. But we both know what we mean when we talk about it. Um, trauma work, dealing with your own trauma so that your reactions to the world are not programmed by your past trauma, but you're able to be in the present moment. Um, defining what your values actually are. And not just what you like to see in the world in general, but what are your values? And asking yourself, to what degree is my life aligned with the values that I have? That's a question really worth asking. Uh, <clears throat> in my new book, I talk about, <coughs> excuse me, my particular pathways around working with trauma, but I'm far from the only one who teaches uh, people to work with trauma. So trauma work is needed for a lot of people. Um, and as much as possible, what this society does is it inculcates in people a kind of passivity. I mean, how is it possible, Daniel, that we've been watching the climate change coming on for decades now, but most of us have done nothing about it? How is that even possible? It's because inculcated in us is a kind of passivity, which says that either don't care about anything outside your own particular address, or even if you do care, there's nothing you can do. So then somebody who's <laughs> got a mind that's a bit different than the rest of us, like Greta Thunberg, with her blessed autism, 
she stands up in Milano and Milan, Italy a few weeks ago and talks about the politicians. She says, all they talk about is blah, 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 blah. In other words, she just sees through it. So we have to see through it. So we have to work both on the personal level, spiritual level, communal, and certainly on the social level as well. And all interrelated things. Well, they are inter. It's all one thing, isn't it? And mm-hmm. uh, my whole message and in, in, in all my work, and certainly in my new book, is that it's all one. Our health, our mental health, physical health, you know, our social health, our spiritual health. It's all one. It's, it's not separable. And then the indigenous people in North America, they have the medicine wheel, don't don't they? Which is four quadrants. Um, which is many interpretations, but one of them is there's the social, there's the psychological, there's the physical, and there's the spiritual. And these are all aspects of our nature, and it's one circle. And these are quadrants of the same circle. And the circle is not complete without any of those quadrants. Neither are we as individuals. How is your how is your project with wisdom of trauma? Um, and we can we can kind of finish on on that and um, on what you're working on and and what your your wisdom of trauma project is is doing. Um, I've I've heard amazing things. I I, I tried to watch it last night. It, it's not out until uh, December on the on the website. I talked to Melissa a little bit about it. Um, um, it's been a hugely popular documentary and you've got a workshop that's going, I mean, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been explosive. It's been great. So congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. And I, I, that wasn't due to my vision. I, I, the filmmakers said they're going to make a film. I said, okay, leave me alone. And they, and they, I kind of gradually went along with it. Then I didn't create the film. But it's, 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 it, the impact has been way beyond anything I'd imagined. Um, it's been seen by 5 million people internationally. And wow. lots of screenings are being scheduled all over the world. And uh, a lot of interest in it. And that speaks to what you were talking about before, that there's a new awakening. And, and, and so that there has been a shift. So that <clears throat> not just my work. I mean, if you look at Bessel van der Kolk and his book, uh, Body Keeps the Score, a book on trauma. New York Times bestseller for the last two years. Amazing. You couldn't have had that 10 years ago. Um, Brooke by Bruce Perry and Oprah, What Happened to You, a book on trauma. Again, a bestseller. Uh, so <clears throat> my work is part of kind of awakening to trauma and um, I've kind of caught the wave in a certain sense. Uh, but it goes way beyond my individual work. Um, but I've been very gratified to see it happen. And the international response has been astounding and the gratitude from people. Um, the film will be available. If people want to find out, they just go to the wisdomwithtrauma.com. They'll be, you know, they'll, first of all, you can buy the film in a package to go with it of all these interviews I did. Or you can wait until there's a website, which there will be. Uh, so if you go to the website, you'll get the information as to when and how the film will be available. I'm sure it'll be seen by many more people over the years. 
Excellent. And you're also doing the Compassionate Inquiry, which uh, is a, a, a great program. Several of our staff here at Sotara have have gone through it and, yeah. and appreciated it. So you're towing the line, uh, you know, on your behalf to to help give people avenues to to work on their traumas and to become more complete in that medicine wheel context. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, just... And actually, that whole compassion inquiry approach <clears throat> arose in significant ways out of my work with the plants. Because it was in the context of those retreats that I started to do that work. And then people kept asking, well, this is effective. Can you teach us? And I said, I don't know what to teach you. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And finally, they, they said, you know what? Yeah, you can teach us. And so I didn't create the Compassion Inquiry program. That was other people working with my work and who've systematized it. And now it's studied by hundreds of therapists around the world and health professionals and so on. Or people can study just on their own. Um, there's two versions of it. There's the professional training and then there's just a private version. But again, it's one of those things, Daniel, that I didn't create personally. Uh, it's more like, I just do what I do. And then people come on board and they take it to another dimension. And Which is really the, the way it should work, isn't it? Absolutely. It's mission and purpose. And, and when you shine, when your authenticity and your value and your contribution to society shines through, it brings other people in who want to transplant that and spread it. That's what yeah. you call exponential growth. And anybody who can offer uh, exponential growth in the form of actual benefit to society, not some kind of vitriol or, yeah. or uh, you know, paranoid ideals. Um, I think that's, that's amazing. And, you know, the more that we can do that, the better it's just, that's really what needs to happen is people stepping up and really not being passive. Like you, like you yeah. mentioned, you know, yeah. this is, but really engaging themselves into their calling, into their mission. And, and, uh, and yes, we, you know, we we both have this long-term optimism, at the same time, it's it you know it it requires people to wake up and step up right like across the board. Yeah. Um, so you know I think that's one area we see eye to eye on, and and certainly um, I can speak for myself in terms of you know the mission, the the thing I'm passionate about ayahuasca is that it does wake people up. It does not everybody you know, and certainly it doesn't it doesn't. Um, force you to take action but it certainly calls you to take action and then when you do yeah. take action you can yeah. you can begin to contribute to the shifting uh, and bettering conditions yeah it's a calling isn't it and it's up to each individual whether they're going to answer that call or not but most people don't even hear the calling because they're so busy trying to survive according to the false values of this society and then then and then for some people, something happens, like something happened for you. I mean, you had a certain career, you were successful at it. Um, but at some point, something you said, this isn't who I really am. And I need to find out who I am. And you had a certain calling to find out. I mean, am I not summarizing your story fairly accurately there? Except for the successful part, I was very unsuccessful. You were unsuccessful. <laughs> I was, I, I was, I was, uh, 
looking for who I was, but um, that you know was partially as a result of not succeeding for the person I was before. So okay, okay, I understand. Um, well, yeah, fair enough, fair enough, and that, it, it can go that way as well. Sometimes it's our successes that teach us that hey, I know I've got it, but it doesn't mean very much. And sometimes it's a lack of a success that says maybe you're barking up the wrong tree. Now, yeah. Melissa, on the other hand, she was she was you know a high achieving okay. student, uh, master's degree, and she working in corporate America and an executive. Yeah. Okay. And then she she wanted more from life, so that's what okay. brought her to the medicine. So. Yeah, so the, it's true; it can happen both ways. Yeah, but at some point, something's got to wake you up. Yes. Yes. And that could be a challenge. That could be, I mean, that could be a personal crisis. It could be a rock bottom. It could be a challenge. It could well, be a shock people, of some And for kind. some people, it's a disease, you know, and I've seen that a lot as well, is that people have this illness that you think, well, this is terrible. And of course, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it for anybody else either. But I've seen all kinds of examples and I talk about it in the new book about when the disease shows up as a, as a, as a teacher that people are actually grateful for. I don't want to go that route myself, and I don't wish on anybody. I'm just saying that I've seen that a lot. So, so anything that anything that knocks you off your course, and and asks you to reorient reorient yourself, can turns out can turn out to be a powerful guide back to yourself. Well, it's really just making the best of the opportunity of any of any situation, right? Yeah. And 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 trying yeah. to leverage something positive from it. Okay, sir. Thank you very much for making the time today. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, I know you're a, a super busy guy and uh, your time is very, very valuable. So thank you so much. Um, is there any, uh, any place you'd like to direct people and to, to, uh, you know, to pay attention to uh, for, for the next uh, short term? Um, I don't know what to say exactly about that in terms of my own work. There's my website. Yeah, your own work. I mean, your oh, book yeah, is yeah. coming out. Do you want yeah. people to pay attention yeah. to your, so, you know? There's my website, um, drgabamati.com. All my events are on there. Uh, um, if you join the mailing list, you, you get updates about my, what happens. My daughter and I, we do a regular, not regular, but irregular Instagram live podcast. That doesn't I've seen those, yeah. Yeah, nobody needs to pay any money. You, you just watch it if you want. I don't know when we'll do the next one, but I always enjoy it when I do. Um, the new book's coming out next September. Um, dozens, literally dozens of my talks have been downloaded or uploaded to YouTube, not by me, but by others, but they're freely available. Nobody needs to join anything or pay anything to watch them. So my work is pretty easily accessible out there. And then there's the books that I've written, and including the new one that's coming out in September. Very good. Well, um, say hello to Hannah for me next time you uh, next well, time course, you see her. She's course, lovely, yeah, young, lovely, lovely a, young lady. Hannah was a Solterra, wasn't she? About three or four. She years. was. Yeah. 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 Uh, we uh, we actually had a bit of an adventure uh, when we were dry. I picked her up. I think uh, somewhere close to Rhythmia. Yeah. And and we were driving back to Soltara, and we had to cross a river. Yeah. And I hit it a little bit too fast. And uh, water went in through the grill, so it killed the engine, and we had to call a tow truck. And oh gosh, 
all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, oh, you both survived it. It seems like we both survived it. Right. All right, sir. Enjoy the rest of your day. Good much love to you. And thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for inviting me. Take care. Bye-bye.